a multiverse of infinite Earths. On the world called Earth 2, the heroes banded together to become the Justice Society. Meanwhile, on Earth 1, the heroes formed a similar group called the Justice League. Each year, the members of these two legendary teams meet to confront a new crisis. We explore these exciting team-ups in... The Justice Society presents Crisis. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Justice Society Presents Crisis, our podcast covering the classic team-ups between the Justice Society of Earth 2 and the Justice League of Earth 1. My name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I am one of your hosts, and along with me is my co-host, the Earth 2, Rob Kelly. But but we also have a special guest with us today, folks, and this isn't something we're going to be doing a lot on the show. But this guy just happens to be our general practitioner, and we kind of want to clean the bill, bill of health on our next physical. So, folks, please help us welcome Dr. Ange. Ange, Rob, how are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks uh, for inviting me, or maybe I should say uh, thank you for letting me invite myself. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much how it happened, Rob, right? He reached out to you, I believe? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, look, I didn't think it would be possible to have somebody cooler than Dr. Fate on the show, but we got Dr. Ange. We managed to do it for our second episode. I was going to call him our own Dr. Charles McKnighter, but, you know, whatever. You know, that's, oh. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, Ange, I got to ask, you know, I, I know you're a Legion guy, which is why you're here. But I know you're also a JSA guy. So what, what are your general thoughts? Like, what, where's your passion for the JSA come from? And what was your first exposure that made you fall in love with them? You know, um, I think this is one of these questions. It's like asking, when did you first, like, learn about Wonder Woman? There's no way that I'm going to be able to tell you exactly um, when I first learned about the JSA. But um, the, the correct answer to that is Linda Carter. That is always yeah. the correct answer, by the way. <laughs> Um, but I'll tell you that I've always liked the team and there's this sort of sweet spot that I will describe as sort of like the late seventies and early eighties where there just seemed to be, um, a bigger glut of JSA that, that I read about. So, um, you know, the, the story that you covered where Mr. Terrific dies, I read that story. I collected a lot of Carrie Bates flash where Jay Garrick would occasionally sort of show up. Um, I, I spent dollars to get those old dollar comics because I recognized the value. And so Adventure Comics had a JSA <laughs> um, section, one of which was like the story where the McCarthy, you know, McCarthyism made them retire. That was like kind of mind blowing back then. Um, but I picked up the Power Girl Showcase. And then there's that, uh, maybe you've heard of it. There's a first issue special with Dr. Fate. Um, no, what? tell me, tell me more. This is totally new information. You guys should really cover it, but uh, but uh, I would first, like to do that. <laughs> the first time I read that story was in the JSA Digest that you guys covered, and so um, you know this is all around like late seventies, early eighties, and uh, and that's really where I think um, I started to get my love for this team. There was that feeling of legacy. I kind of liked the idea of like the gray-haired Superman that had fallen in World War Two, and then you know Power Girl and this younger group um, were sort of coming along. Uh, that really I thought was uh, very very interesting to me. And then, you know, some of those characters have become, you know, my favorite, amongst my favorite characters. So I, like, really love Dr. Fate. I really like the Huntress and kind of all of her manifestations or incarnations. I really like Power Girl. I really like Wildcat. Um, so uh, anytime I can kind of read them, I sort of try to, to pick them out. That's awesome. I mean, pretty much everything you just said there was full of joy. That was a great selection of favorite characters, great era to fall in love with the team. That's where my joy of the team started as well. So uh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to have you on this episode. And you're going to have to bring the Legion love because I heard a rumor there's one person on this episode who's not necessarily the world's biggest Legion fan. 
Yeah, well, you, you know, I'll say it's one of those, you know, it truly is like, you know, when you see your favorite characters get together in a comic. And so you look at this cover and it's like, okay, it's got Superman that I love. It's got Power Girl and Dr. Fate that I love. It's got Wildfire, my favorite Legionnaire. It's it's like peanut butter and jelly and Nutella. It's just <laughs> Add some bananas to that and you got the whole package. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, before we dive into these episodes, uh, there are issues, I should say. There's a couple different things we're going to cover really quickly. First off is there's a little bit of JSA news which is worth mentioning. Uh, the Justice Society World War II animated movie is almost here. By the time you guys hear this, it's like less than 20 days away. Uh, it comes out April 27th digitally. And then it also comes out on May 11th in physical for like the 4K and Blu-ray copies. I was a sucker. I shelled out for the physical copy. Yes, all of you are going to see it two weeks before me. Don't spoil it, please. But I can't wait to see this thing. Then uh, some news came out on the Black Adam movie. This has been sort of leaking for a while, but I, I, you know, there's final confirmation. The Justice Society will be in the Black Adam movie, and the team members include Hawkman, Dr. Fate, played by Remington Steele, Cyclone, and Adam Smasher. That's pretty big. Uh, great selection of characters there. And the other last thing I want to mention was last time we had mentioned uh, a, a Earth 2 podcast, but I failed to mention another one. So just want to give shout-outs to uh, two other JSA-related podcasts, of friends of ours. First one is A World on Fire, an all-star squadron podcast, hosted by Billy D and Herman. And the other is the Earth 2 podcast, hosted by Peter and David. So if you're enjoying the JSA Presents feed, please be sure to head out and check out those podcasts as well and give those guys some love. So, well, we also need to thank our sponsors, folks. So uh, keep in mind, this episode of Just Society Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, Dr. Ange, you're our guest, so why don't you go first? What did you uh, happen to bring from InStockTrades? Uh, oh, I was supposed to bring one? No, I'm only kidding. Uh, oh, wait, you... Oh, you did? You suck it, Bailey. All right. <laughs> Legion of Superheroes Volume 1 Millennium Trade Paperback, written by Brian Michael Bendis with various artists. Long live the Legion. Inspired by the acts and lessons learned from the greatest heroes of all time, the Legion of Superheroes have gathered together to stop a galaxy from repeating its past mistakes. Why have the Legion of Superheroes broken the cardinal rule of the United Planets and inducted John Kent, also known as Superboy, into the Legion? What are they hiding? And what does it have to do with Aquaman's long-lost trident. But first, first, take a trip through a thousand years of DC's future history navigated by a mysterious figure from the present. The greatest lineup of heroes in comic book history return with new fresh stories, collects Legion of Superheroes Millennium 1 and 2, and Legion of Superheroes 1 through 6. It is, uh, or it was, 1999, uh, but the in-stock trade uh, price is 11.59. You save 42%. And I can tell you, if you like Brian Michael Bendis, um, I think you'll very much love this new Legion. And I particularly really like the series because I think it's a great mix of old concepts and new concepts together, which is tough with the Legion. You threw me when you were saying Millennium in there. I was like, uh oh, here comes some Laurel Kent. Here we go. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, Rob, would you bring to the party? Well, uh, based on one of the characters that appears in the stories we're going to cover, sort of, uh, I picked Hawkman Volume 1 Awakening, uh, which reprints the most uh, most recent Hawkman series, issues 1 through 6 by Robert Venditti and Brian Hitch. Uh, this is one of the rare, relatively recent comic series that I've actually read. Uh, oh, wow. I, I enjoyed, <laughs> and I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's, uh, like I said, it reprints Hawkman issues 1 through 6. The page count is 160 pages. In stock at trades price is nine eighty five. The normal price is sixteen ninety nine. So that is forty two percent off. So 
I love Hawkman. I love Hawkwoman. I just love the whole concept. And uh, even though this is the sort of Earth 1 Hawkman versus the Earth 2 that we're going to be talking about soon, it's all Hawkman. It's all great. So check it out. Hawkman Volume 1 Awakening. Awesome. Man, I'm feeling like the old man get off my lawn because I brought an old book. You both brought fairly contemporary ones. I brought Legion of Superheroes, Five Years Later, Omnibus Hardcover. I actually picked this sort of in tribute to our guest. But uh, this is the story of the infamously known Keith Given 5YL. Legion, so the collects this thing's massive. It's one of these omnibus things. So it's oh, oh I don't have the page count here, but it's like a thousand pages because it's got thirty nine issues of Legion of Superheroes, five issues of Timberwolf. It's got three annuals in an Adventures of Superman book where the moon blows up. But this was when Keith Giffen completely reimagined the Legion, starting in eighty nine. It's dark, it's moody, they're adults. It's a very dystopian future, and damn, I loved it. This was actually my introduction to the Legion. Ange, I know you love it. You wrote. Uh, a weekly coverage of this for Legion of Super Bloggers for like a, a couple of years, right? That's exactly right. I love this as well. It's set in a dystopian future, but the Legion is always looked upon as like a shining light of inspiration and hope. So, um, so it works uh, very, very well. And it is, it's an adult book in terms of like, it's not easy reading. You really have to be committed to sort of like follow the themes and stuff, but God, I love it. And I, as I've said before, even on this very uh, podcast, um, I consider that review run I did um, the high point of my blogging career. I'm sure you still have a lot of good stuff ahead of you, buddy. Uh, but I agree. It, it, uh, as far as how amazing your reviews were, it was great to relive that run through your blog entries. And uh, I, I reread it uh, a couple years back. It just it's it's. I know Rob doesn't like it. That's tough. Rob's broken inside. But it's so much fun. Anyway, <laughs> normally retails for $150. Just sit here. <laughs> it's a hardcover. So again, massive, massive thing. Normally 150 bucks. You get a 42% off. So it's only $87 and it is a fantastic collection. I said, Oh, shut up. I sat there with my five years later issues as they came out and would read the, that, that issue and then go straight to my who's who and figure out who everyone was because nobody went by their code name. It'd be like, Hey, rock, come here. Who the hell's rock? Oh, that's a uh, cosmic boy. Okay. Things like that. But either way, so check all these things out at instocktrades.com. Now we also need to thank you folks at home for your help, uh, through Patreon because running the fire and water podcast network with so many shows and hosting and all the various fees and services and everything that we're doing takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And you guys really stepped up to help us cover those bills and, and keep the network uh, on the air. So if you're enjoying shows like this, uh, we would appreciate if you go out to our Patreon and check that out. What's the address from? Patreon.com slash FWPodcast. And while you're there, consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network, which helps us keep shows like this coming to you. At a certain sponsorship levels, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows, just like these folks. Our thanks to Keechi Baker, Ted Kilvington, Joe Tonello, David H. Gutierrez, and Gord Tolton. Again, just visit our Patreon at Patreon.com slash FWPodcast. So here we go, folks. It is time to get into these books. Uh, Rob, want to tell us the, the name of the book we're going to cover first? Yeah, we're going to be talking about issues uh, from 147 and 148 of Justice League of America. Woohoo! The first story is called Crisis in the 30th Century by Paul Levitz, Martin Pascal, Dick Dillon, and Frank McLaughlin. Here we go, folks. It's time to call the roll, call the roll, call the roll of the Justice League. Yeah! Uh, so the... Uh, <laughs> The Justice League roll call is Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and Black Canary. The Justice Society roll call is Dr. Fate, Flash, Jake Garrick, Green Lantern, Alan Scott, Hawkman, and Power Girl. And Long Live the Legion in Part 1, Sunboy, Brainiac 5, Wildfire, and Princess Projectora. In Part 2, they are joined by Lightning Lad, Ultra Boy, 
and Shadow Lass and Saturn Girl. Woohoo! In a pink bikini outfit. <laughs> I love the 70s. So uh, this, uh, <laughs> this issue was on sale July 7th, 1977. Uh, the, re- the recaps, at least for mine, is very short because these stories are insane. And we didn't need the show to be five hours long getting into the nitty gritty of uh, all the plots and turns. Especially, we should mention, these, both these issues are extra length. No, they are extra long issues because this was when uh, Justice League of America got promoted to a uh, 48-page comic. Uh, and I, by, I love the fact that Dick Dillon just drew more pages. That was it. Right. Yeah, just do more pages. You know, <laughs> didn't get a fill in. He's just like, I'll just do more. That's fine. Uh, I, have an extra, I have an extra 10 minutes to crank out another 20 pages. So, uh, as I said, uh, this issue was on sale July 7th, 1977. The JLA and the JSA are hanging out for their usual get-together when a giant hand materializes in space, grabbing several heroes and then disappearing. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> Turns out the hand belongs to Mordrew, evil wizard of the 30th century and TV star. The heroes try and defeat him, but to no avail. Mordrew then explains that he was in pursuit of the magical artifacts of Bell, Jar, and Wheel, but accidentally grabbed the heroes instead. Mordrew, not the most detail-oriented bad guy in the DCU. Mordrew tells the captive heroes, including some members of the Legion, that he will kill Green Arrow and Black Canary unless they round up the artifacts for him. The teams of heroes succeed, but then they tell Mordrew that they won't get the last of the items, the red jar, unless he frees their friends. He agrees to this, but when he summons the demons three inside the objects, Abnagazar, Wrath, and Gast, they turn the tables on Mordrew, zap him with their superior magic, and plan to destroy the magical items, which will keep them from being imprisoned ever again to be continued. Dun, 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 dun. Now, before we get into the discussion part, uh, we're going to go ahead and do the recap of issue two, which, by the way, uh, when Rob says that these comics are bonkers, dude, that first story was about as straightforward as possible compared to how insane the second issue gets. True. But, true. <laughs> true. So, uh, and just think, you know, if you're, if when you read that comic, that was July 7, 1977, you're still coming off the Star Wars high when you read that comic, man. So, all right. Justice League of America number 148, November 1977. It's called Crisis in Triplicate. Now, same creative team, but this time it's, uh, Marty Pasco's the main writer and it just says assist by Paul Levitz. On sale August 4th, 1977. It says, uh, the Demons 3, Abnagazar, Wrath, and Gast, are newly freed from their magical prisons and have betrayed Mordru. They quickly realize that they have conflicting ideas on how to rule the world. So they plan to fight it out, which is kind of what you do. But they realize that if they did that, their vast powers would destroy the entire universe. And that's where they keep their stuff. So that's a problem. So they need to think small by turning to the various heroes and forcing them to fight each other by proxy. It's probably where you, uh, where you learned this word proxy, because uh, I was, thought it was pretty good usage in 77 for a kid. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it turns into a really bizarre stream of consciousness battle across uh, with the various JLAers, the JSAers, and the Legion all beating the snot out of each other. And this includes some really nonsensical time travel, dragging astral bodies around, and a battle at the center of the Earth, which I'm still not exactly sure why that happened. But there's a whole lot of, uh, there's uh, like this weird sort of like, I'm being controlled. Wait, no, 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 I'm not being controlled. But wait, maybe I'm being controlled a little bit. What? Anyway, uh, eventually by the end, the heroes shake off this enforced fighting. They turn the tables and manage to defeat Abnagazar and Wrath, leaving only Ghast. 
Dr. Fate manages to absorb some of the defeated demon's energy, giving him the power to trap gas where the magical objects last existed by recreating the destroyed JLA satellite there in the 30th century and trapping gas inside. Now, the modern-day heroes all say goodbye to the Legion, and with uh, Green Lantern planting a post-hypnotic suggestion in the JLA and the JSA so they won't have any memory of their uh, possible futures. Oof, okay. That is a very simplified version of that issue. So why don't we um, why don't we start just by talking about the covers? Rob, you want to describe the first cover, and I'll describe the second one? Sure. So uh, the cover to 147 is amazingly crowded. It's got more true <laughs> standing there, and he is a- being attacked by a couple of members of the Legion while he's got Superman, Batman, and Power Girl in some sort of force bubble. And then bracketing that main image is three different sets of headshots featuring the roll call. And at the top, You've got your four legionnaires. On the left, you've got our five members of the JLA. And then on the right are the five members of the JSA. It's very crowded. Even for Dick Dillon, uh, there's, to me, there's no way to not make it crowded when you have this much going on. I mean, on top of just all the heads and the action, you've got one, two, like five different blurbs going on here. 19 superheroes and the greatest team up of all time and space. One thing I thought was very funny is if you look at all the headshots, right? Mm-hmm. Does any of you, any of act like there's nine of you here? Does, do either one of you <laughs> notice an art disparity in any of the headshots? Uh, like Princess Projecta kind of got smacked with something, but I'm not sure if that's what you mean. <laughs> no, I okay. I'll, I I don't know why I'm being cagey here. If you look clearly, all of the heads that we're looking at were drawn by Dick Dillon and Frank McLaughlin, because you could just tell by the style. Except, oh, except, except for Brainiac 5. No. Oh. No, except for Flash, which is Mike Sikowski. They pulled that oh. off of the head of a 1960s Justice League cover. And I'm kind of like, why? Why <laughs> was Dick Dillon like, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Leave me alone, Paula. <laughs> I refuse. Like, what? Like, why is there's all these, this whole cover has been drawn by Dick Dillon, except for the Flash head, which is a paste up. So I'm like, with like, did like Dick Dillon's original art come in and like some guy at the DC, some DC woodchuck, woodchuck spill a cup of coffee on the cover or something? And they're like, oh, shoot, just paste that up or something. It, and my eye goes right to it because it's like it's not it's the only thing on this cover not drawn by Dick Dillon. Well, well you know, I, I do go back to my Brainiac 5. That looks like a lifter from a Kurt Swan Brainiac 5 to me. Hmm. I would bet you that's Mike's. Uh, that is Dick Dillon. I would right, really well, bet you. But that, I mean, it's, that, that chin is different than every other chin on the cover. But anyway. again, maybe again, maybe somebody at the DC offices was you know was eating their pastrami sandwich on rye <laughs> over lunch when they were doing the pay stops and they knocked something on this cover. It's it it's not the greatest cover because it's just simply so crowded. But I don't know how else you could have done a cover with three different sets of headshots having to be on it. I just even somebody's talented as Dick Dillon. Can only do so much. So it's an okay cover. Here's my no prize on that flash thing. I bet he drew the Earth One Flash because he was just told put these characters down, and he drew the Earth One Flash, and somebody was like, "That's the wrong Flash," so they made him erase it. Maybe. Uh, but that's my alternate universe answer. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go with that. I like that. All right. Um, so the cover the cover of 148 uh, is also equally busy. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an all white background. For starters, and then you've got it's it's basically a it's a it's a daisy chain of beating the crap out of each other. It's basically what it is, folks. In the front, you've got Superman and Power Girl fighting it out. You've got Batman. Then on the if, if, all right, we'll go clockwise. We'll start with from the. Uh, it's so hard to describe. All right, anyway, it's, it's 
Green Lantern, uh, Alan Scott's blasting Superman, Wildfire's blasting Green Lantern, uh, Alan Scott, Jake Garrick's punching Shadowlash, Shadowlash is blasting uh, Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan, I mean, literally, it's just, it's just going around a circle. Hal Jordan's blasting Lightning Lad, and then he's blasting Batman and, and vice versa. It just keeps going around in a circle. And then the blurbs include three mighty villains, so mu- three villains so mighty it takes 19 heroes and all to fight them. And then it says the Justice League and the Justice Society and the Legion of Superheroes are going around in circles fighting among themselves, which is kind of funny how we did it that way. And who's behind it? Who's behind it all and why? So um, if you'd read the issue before, you probably know who, who's behind it. So it wouldn't really be much of a surprise. Uh, it was, this reminds me a little bit of another JLA, JSA team up uh, that came, um, I can't remember if it was before or after this, but there's a similar all white background where there's sort of a, a, a bunch of punching like this. Uh, Batman's punching a Joker face, I want to say, or something like that. That's one before of this. That's before oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the figures all look great, but it does seem a little silly. Again, going around in circles is very appropriate. I, it you reminds know? me, it's very Three Stooges. Like one, 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 one would slap <laughs> one of the other one, and then it would go down the line, like Mo would slap Larry, and Larry would slap Curly. That's, that's what I, that's the read I get from this cover. Uh, the, it's worth pointing out that this was done by Rich Buckler and, uh, and Jack Abel and oh. Dylan, um, to sort of see that it's a different art style. Yep. Um, You're absolutely right. I didn't even mention that. Thank you. And the, the thing that always gets me about this one is like Batman is grabbing Power Girl's hand as if to like stop her from punching. Like I think his <laughs> arm is going to get ripped out of his socket. Uh, <laughs> that's the craziest thing. And for me, this reminds me of, um, there is an all-white background cover of the Secret Society of Supervillains where, like, the Secret Society of Supervillains and a bunch of heroes are, like, facing off. And that was the issue where I first met the Creeper. So I oh, goodness. A deer oh, deer in my house. <laughs> and a young Angie's fate was sealed. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, Power Girl's just going to shake that wrist and Batman's going to fly across the room. But... Yeah. He's probably fine from the lightning lad zap because, you know, in that episode of Super Friends, he doused his cape in that chemical. So he's probably fine. <laughs> oh, only nerds get, our, get us. Only nerds get us. All right. So I guess this is where we dive into this. Uh, Rob, why don't you kick us off with some of your notes? I do want to mention a couple of things. First of all, this was right in the middle of Steve Englehart's one-year run on Justice League of America. Uh, it's that, those are some of my uh, favorite stories of JLA. I think he did a really good job. But, of course, these two issues are not written by Steve Englehart. And I always wondered, why not? Like, why does Steve Englehart write the issues preceding these and then after, but not these? And I actually interviewed Steve Englehart for my late Lamented JLA Sally blog, and he told me, that he wanted to write this, but Paul Levitz and Martin Pasco, who were a little, Engelhart was new to DC Comics. He'd come over from Marvel and Levitz and Pasco basically pulled rank and they really wanted to write the JLA JSA team up. And so Man, they, they stepped that, uh, in. That kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. They stepped in. And if you, if you've ever yeah, read, hey, 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 Ange, I feel like talking about Supergirl. I'm just going to take over your blog for a couple of weeks. Is that okay? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could use the break, but no, that's uh, that's interesting because you know, Rob, those those Engelhart uh, issues right around this had a lot of the like Mark Shaw stuff, Manhunter stuff, right, right, and uh, and those are pretty like those uh, the changes he made to DC history in those books or the books that he did, like including creating the construct and stuff. That stuff lasts, right? So, mm-hmm. um, just interesting uh, that they would pull him off when it was such a good run. Yeah, he was weaving uh, subplots in and out of his run, and I mean, they, basically they were they were self-contained stories. But then they would have little bits that would continue on into later issues, and then it's sort of like for these two, all that stops to just have this team up, and then they resume again once Engelhart takes over again. He was really, and, and also during 
his run. The JLA was squabbling a lot. Uh, they were picked, they were like yelling at each other. We get a little bit of that here in the opening page where Green Arrow is a massive dick. But for oh the my most God, part, he is. Yeah, he is. Um, but it really is weird that it's like, what? All of a sudden, it just feels like this whole drop in of like, oh, this is, this other thing is happening. Okay. Then we're going to go back to all the Mar- all the privateer stuff and whatever. So that's, uh, that's, that, that's what happened. That's why Englehart is not on these stories is because Levinson Pascal basically Bigfooted him and, uh, and, and got in there. And then the other thing about, Number 148 that I must point out is even though uh, I'm not a huge fan of this, these two stories, just because partly it's, it's not just that it's the Legion, which I'm mad on. It's just to me, it's overall, it's very crowded, but number 148 will always be beloved to me because I spent my entire teenagerdom in lieu of talking to girls, amassing a straight, a complete set of the original Justice League of America, all 261 issues. And this is, you know, you remember, this is the 80s. This is before the internet and everything like that. So I actually had to go to stores to find these comics. And for whatever reason, 148 eluded me. And it was, I was literally the last issue that I could not find. And it wasn't like one. The the cosmos was trying to tell you something. Maybe so. (laughs) But I mean, it's not like 148 was like valuable. You know what I mean? I could see if you could say, well, you know what? I can't get number one. But no, it was 148. Nobody carried it. No store ever. No, no. I never found it at a convention. No store that I ever went to ever had it. And it was like, I was like, it was like a smile with a missing tooth. I was like, ah, what is, what is you? And then this was during a time where I was still subscribing to the Comic Buyer's Guide. Remember that, everybody? Mm-hmm. And there were, there were, you know, there were dealers that sold their back issues via ads in Comic Buyer's Guide. And I bought this comic from a selling name Ed Kalb. I still remember the name. Oh my gosh. And I was so excited. And I can remember the day I got it. And I pulled it out of the package, out of the mail slot. And there it was. And then as of this issue, my set of Justice League was complete. Well, congratulations. Amazing. That's awesome. That's yeah. uh, kind of ironic that it was this, or kind of nice that it was this issue. Again, not exactly the greatest crowning achievement. Yeah, you'd wish it'd be like 200 or something to fill that gap to be like, this is the one. But, you know, hey, something's got to always be the one, I suppose. I will always smile when I look at this cover because I can remember being in my parents' dining room and opening the envelope and seeing it. And it was just like, ah, you know, it was just more. <laughs> now, let's be clear, folks. We're not, we've said some negative things about these issues, but we're not here to crap on it. We're, we're going to give it some gentle ribbing and have some fun. But I still, I enjoyed reading them. They're, they're a little balls crazy, but I still enjoyed reading them and had fun with it. So I want to make sure that's clear. I, we're not Debbie Downers on it. So oh, no, there is no issue of the original Justice League of America that I hate. There is not. There's... I always have some affection for them at one level or another. Yeah. You know, I'll say shag. It's like you say, these, you know, this doesn't live up to what I thought a JLA JSA Legion story will be, but it certainly fits the time. And I think that maybe uh, Pascal and Levitz uh, were coming down from their star Wars high. They were just high. <laughs> so a little inside baseball for you guys. The other night we were all prepping for this episode and it turns out Angie and I were rereading the issues at the exact same time. So we had our own private little live tweet, uh, in private message and just went back and forth. In fact, that's where most of my notes came from. And whenever we, we get to a, a story point that's like, why did this happen? The answer just became, Oh yeah. Shrooms. Um, <laughs> Now, and, and I do think that, uh, that the guys, you know, Paul and, and Marty, I think the first issue, 147, is really straight. I mean, it works. It's fun. It's adventurous. There's some bonky stuff in there. But, I mean, hey, it's, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of the era, so the crazy aliens and stuff. Yeah. But I think that was a pretty straight comic. It was fun. It's the second part that is just 
nuts. I mean, that one's mostly Marty because this is Marty with Paul's assistance. I think what happened was simply the editor said, Marty, you got 35 pages uh, and just have a fight. And so he had to fill it. And it goes completely stream of consciousness at parts. Like at one point, the demons just get rid of Dr. Fate's body. Like they, they leave the helmet. They just get rid of his body just because. There's no rationale for it. It's not any story beat. Later on, he just gets it back. And it's like, why did that even happen? You know, the shrooms were kicking in, I think. So as far as timing goes, we're talking about Star Wars and everything else. There's a couple other timing things interesting. First of all, uh, the same month that these issues, uh, that part two was on the shelves, was the first appearance of Huntress. Uh, now, she didn't make it into this crosser, obviously. She'll be in later ones. But it's just sort of a, a nice time capsule to realize, wow, that's kind of cool. Huntress showed up at the same time. And this is the first JSA, JLA team of where Power Girl came over and joined the team. Uh, Englehart hadn't used Power Girl, or, or whoever wrote the previous JLA, JSA team-ups, hadn't used her even though she was over there in All-Star Comics. So I thought that was uh, nice Ooh. that they finally used her. Yeah, she has one of the strangest uh, subplots uh, that I... I'll probably talk about it in a bit. Why don't you tell, and Mr. Supergirl expert, why don't you tell us about that right now? Well, it's so funny because in the first issue, um, Power Girl sees Superman and basically she starts like hitting on him. Like, ooh, I like this Earth Superman and like wraps her arms around. Like, why don't you go, why don't you show me the trophies in like that room where no one else is? And uh, even like Black Canary is like, boy, she's like a really fast mover. Um, and it kind of is icky, right? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we can talk about like, are they still cousins if they're on opposite Earths and have different uh, Kryptons and one's last name is E-L and one's last name is just L. Um, but it's weird. Uh, but then, of course, like I can bring up several things that happened in the Silver Age where like Superman was like hitting on his 15 year old cousin saying like the only reason why I won't marry you is because Krypton, which blew up, by the way, a long time ago, has a law saying I can't do it. Oh, uh, my gosh. Right? Which is like pretty creepy. And then there's one where he's like, I can't let Lois um, think that I'll marry her. And so he has Supergirl dress up as like a superheroine uh, uh, from another planet, and then they just start making out in front of Lois. So oh there's my also God. Yeah, there's, lo- there's lots of weird stuff that that happens. But I read that and I was like, that's just kind of strange. Um, uh, I kind of want them to do that on the show now. No, <laughs> uh, no, no, no! Please, if if you follow me and Ange on social media, uh, the last couple of days, you can go back and find some of these panels and some of this discussion. It got pretty bad on Facebook too, which I know you didn't see, Ange, but we got into it arguing about. They saying, "No, no, you know." This Superman looks like Christopher Reeve. You know, her Superman looks like George Reeves. They don't look anything alike. I'm like, but dude, no, it's for her. It's like hitting on uh, best example would be like hitting on her stepdad's identical twin is like the only thing I can think of is kind of what this is. It's just creepy. And Superman's clearly uncomfortable with it. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you read the dialogue, he's totally like, uh, 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 he's all stammering and trying to keep his distance from her. And she's all, gra- I mean, she's handsy, man. She is seriously handsy. It's, uh, it's, it's very disturbing. I, it does also, it reinforces that, uh, the theory we've had for a little while now that, that Earth 2 is basically just a trailer park. Uh, <laughs> if you look at a lot of the, the, what, the, what is affectionately, I guess you could say, called boob windows on Power Girl and Jade and stuff like that, uh, Amy Bias, friend of the show, uh, once coined that, that, uh, Earth 2 is a trailer park. So this is just reinforcing it. Crazy. Uh, along those same lines, Shadowlass and uh, Saturn Girl, I mean, they're pretty much just wearing lingerie and heels in this. So I guess the future is a trailer park, too, by the way. Yeah, uh, Mike Grell was well ahead of his time, I guess. <laughs> 
right, so uh, why don't we why don't we trip hammer through our comments here? So uh, Rob's staying silent because he, all he's going to do is poo poo the Legion. Uh, you chime in when you need to, Rob. But Ange, why don't you and I go through our notes? Sure. So the first thing I'll say is like this is like my JLA. When I think of like when somebody says, "What does the Justice League look like?" It's Dick Dillon's art that that appears yeah. in my mind, and I really love his art throughout this. I think sometimes his faces tend to be the same, especially his female faces, and you really have to look at that hairdo to sort of figure out what's what. But it's really like, as you say, they go to different planets. They're fighting in different weird dimensions. They're in the middle of the Earth, and he kind of just handles everything. Uh, extremely well um so i really love the art it kind of felt like you know easing into a warm bath i already talked about the fact that this has a bunch of my favorite characters in it um but this is the first story that i read with abnegazer um wrath and ghast um having learned them mostly from who's who and that ad that said do you know who we are right? so, <laughs> uh, so they, when they, I read, pe- they, they peaked with that ad <laughs> i think they peaked with that ad there's no doubt um i think they do a good job uh in both stories really letting you know that these are um these villains are like really big threats right like right off the start mordru is like i'm half i'm at half power right now and i basically can like imprison you guys in bubbles and and make you do my bidding um uh, so he really feels like a threat when he said that dr fate's power level is like a neophyte person from the wizard world in the 30th century like everyone there is as powerful as him i was like whoa that's that's pretty serious yeah, before you, you know, get before before you get too far, I do want to comment on Dick Dillon though. Uh, yeah. Amazing, amazing work in this thing, guys. I mean, the from the layouts to the storytelling to the art, the guy is just so solid. Him and and I should say um, Frank McLaughlin as well. They're just so solid. It's great. You always know what's going on. The action's fantastic. Now you said every woman looks the same, dude. I my comment is that every woman is freaking beautiful. Their oh, face. Yeah. Oh my god, like Black Canary, Power Girl, Shadow, uh, Saturn Girl, Shadowless Princess Projectra. I, I mean, I, I found certain panels of like Black Canary and Saturn Girl. Why? Just so they're just kind of oh, staring at them. Like, they're so pretty. So uh, it gorgeous. Yeah, I'll put my irredeemable hat on for a second and just say, why do I really love that bonkers 70s Zatanna outfit that looks like her mother's? It's probably because of Dick Dillon's art. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, now I'll take my irredeemable hat off. Uh, and get it back. <laughs> You know, uh, this is very much follows like the classic, you know, we need to break up into small teams to like solve a problem and then I'll get back together to solve the problem. So I thought that was great. Some of the, you know, you, you look at like the, the first team that gets together, it's like Wildfire, Sunboy, Superman, Dr. Fate and Green Lantern. It's like, what could possibly stand up against those guys? Um <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's Hawkman, not Green Lantern. But um, even the the mini um, uh, adventures that they go on, like one of them, they go to the planet of the Proteus. So, of course, as like a, a Legion fan, I thought that, that was great. Um, and then, you know, much as much as Mordru is clearly a, a villain with a big threat level in the first issue, he basically gets immediately defeated by the demons. And so you're like, whoa. So they're like really a threat. If Mordru could do what he did to the... Um, to all three of these teams and these guys took him out without like blinking an eye. Um, that, that was a great moment. Cause I, I, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of the demons three by any means, but even I was like, Oh wow. They just took out more drew because it really does set them up as like, okay, this is pretty serious. Yeah. And then I just think it's very amusing. You know, you said in, in the recap, all three of them have a different idea of what to do now. The, the demons three, one guy is like, maybe I like peace, which I thought is crazy for a demon. Um, one of them is, <laughs> One of them, they show him, like, I want them to bring me all their money. Like, what is a demon going to do with, like, he's standing in, like, a pile of 
paper money. Like, what, are you going to go to a store? Um, <laughs> He's going to so, buy all the shrooms. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that that was all very, very strange. And then the last one at least sounds demon-like, where he's like, I just want to destroy the planet entirely and just, like, live on a rotten husk. Um, and so then they fight each other. Uh, and, of course, then, as you said, they they control or maybe not control or maybe somewhat control all of the heroes to fight each other. So, <laughs> here we're, you know, heroes fighting each other is very classic. So that had a very classic feel to it. Um uh, but two of the demons basically are taken off the board by each other. So that's kind of what I thought was a little bit of a weak part of the story. And then the last one, as you said, gets captured. So um, it is pretty crazy. That last issue, I was like, I don't even know what the, you know, like, is Power, Power Girl controlled or not controlled? Are the other JSAs controlled or not controlled? Um, it just gets nuts. Um, I, I still literally have no idea why they were fighting in the center of the earth. I don't, and I don't even care at this point. Like, I'm like, yeah. I'm just like, okay, it's pretty to look at at this point. You know, yeah. okay, I, I'm just along for the art at this point. Cause I don't really know what the hell's going on. I, mean, I, I love Dr. Fate. I really do. But it's stories like this with these kind of demons and stuff. They really hate, make me hate comic book magic. I mean, it's just, oh, so frustrating. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so, uh, but overall, I think, um, especially the ending, uh, which I'll, uh, you know, in, uh, in the features part coming up, I'll talk about, but I really thought the ending nailed it. Um, uh, so I kind of just let all of this weird fighting wash over me and I thought it ended, um, extremely well. Nice. Well, I'll trip hammer through my notes real quick. Going back to the first issue, like how tall is Psycho Pirate? Now, I realize you at home, if you don't have the comic in front of you, you don't know what I'm talking about. But there's a couple of panels where they've captured Psycho Pirate. And he is like a good two heads taller than almost everyone else there. I'm like, was there a story where he was like, I don't know, a freaking giant? Because it's really weird. And then who exactly is wearing Wildcat's costume? Because in the beginning, we do see Wildcat, but he talks like a 1930s gangster. So either uh, Marty or, or Paul didn't really get the memo on how he – I mean, does anyone else remember Ted Grant talking like this? No, it's it's pretty ridiculous. You know, you read it in your mind, and it sounds like a caricature more than anything else. Yeah. So I know I'm the only Doctor Who fan here, but I'll throw one out here for you Doctor Who fans at home. I feel bad for Black Canary in this story because every time she asks a question, someone says, I'll tell you later. Which is like a, a, such a Doctor Who trope where the, the female companion totally gets sidelined and no one will give her the information because the audience at home, e- either the audience at home already knows or they just don't want to spoil a plot point yet. And it's so frustrating and I feel so bad for her. She deserves better. Finally, she has a fit and she's like, enough, you're going to tell me right effing now. And they do finally. So that's good. Big, big magical question here. So we find out that Mordru uh, throughout the entire first issue is actually in an astral form. Which I, I realize now makes sense because you can kind of see through him the whole time. They don't explain that in the first issue, I don't believe. So if he's in an astral form, how exactly did Superman punch him out and later all the Legionnaires drag him around the galaxy? How, do, how does that work? Because yeah, I, comics. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think, like, maybe it's like some sort of, like, force manifestation, but uh, but I have no idea. I mean, uh, he does punch him in the face, and he does, like, get rocked, um, which is just odd. <laughs> I, I was going for shrooms, but, you know, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> There's also a big HR moment here where Black Canary has a great idea, and both Superman and Batman, how they thank her, is they both kiss her on the cheek and say, Dinah, you're beautiful. Seriously, people, someone get effing HR in here right now, because this is out of hand. I mean, we saw them do this with Zatanna in later issues, now with Dinah here. It's, it, it, they have a problem. They really do. So anyway, I'm bagging on it a lot, folks, but it's really fun. It's really beautiful. It's lovely to see the JSA characters together. I mean, you talked about this is your 
uh, your Legion team, dude, for me, this is not my entire JSA, but this is the JSA I fell in love with during the All-Star comics. Because, you know, it's Power Girl. It's, okay, Hawkman's there too, maybe, whatever. Uh, but it's, it's Power Girl, Flash, uh, Green Lantern, Dr. Fate. Those are like the core of the Justice League from the All-Star comics that I always remember. You know, maybe throw in Star-Spangled Kid, Huntress, and Robin, and you're there. But uh, it's just it, it peak JSA for me. I absolutely love this. Now, Rob, you've been very, very silent. So give us give us some nuggets, even if it's just JLA related, anything. Well, I okay. I mean, I always enjoyed when they tried to work in another team because obviously uh, they did these every year, and once in a while they would try and you know like okay they would bring in the Shazam characters one time, where then they brought in the new gods, which you've already covered on on Fire and Water, and so that you know they're always trying to make it as big as possible, and bringing in the Legion of Superheroes, which of course necessitates time travel, makes it even bigger. And and to that end, they have to bring in a Legion villain and a JLA villain, which is cool. And unlike you guys, I really like Abner Hazar, Wrath and Guest. I actually think they're pretty Easy cool for villains. you to say. Yeah. Um, can I ever tell you, Shag, did I ever tell you my favorite moment featuring Abner Gazar, Wrath and Guest from a comic book? Did I ever tell you no, story? No, Rob. You have never, <laughs> ever, ever mentioned your favorite moment with Abner Gazar, Wrath and Gas from Swamp Thing. Please tell I, me. I have told you that. To- I have told you that story at least as many times as you've covered the first issue special. <laughs> so, uh, st- step off. I would say that, that is uh, fair. That is yeah. fair. No, I, I look. I don't. I don't. I don't like dislike this story. It's just there's so much going on. It's it moves at such a clip that uh, it just feels very rushed. And one of the things that I, I wish they had time. Ironically enough, because like I said I'm not a huge fan of the Legion. But one of the things that I wish they had done is, and we've talked about this before, Shag, I love it when the superheroes mingle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that to me is always a fun thing. One of the things I loved about the JLA JSA team ups was like that page or two before the story or after the story where they're hanging out at the satellite and just like eating cookies. Like, I always right. like that kind of stuff. And I wish they could have had a moment like that with the Legion, but uh... they don't. They don't because the story is so fast paced. The Legion get brought in in the middle of the plot. They get sucked up into it all. They help out. And then, you know, it breaks up into the three chapters and then there's all the different characters. And then basically it's like, oh, hey, we've defeated everybody. Bye, Legion. And then that's it. And it would have been, I just would have been cool to have like the Legion intermingling with Batman and Green Arrow and Hawkman. Like just even give us like two panels of that. But we don't get that. Ironically enough, and this is still like, as I said, this is, these are double, they're not double page story uh, issues, but they're extra length. These stories are 35 pages each, and they still didn't have time for that because yeah. that's how crowded this story was. And so, you know, I just would have preferred, could we slow down for a second? But no, we have to make the story like as huge as possible. But it's still fun because it's neat seeing, like, again, there's 19 heroes flying around it. Poor Dick Dillon. Be careful what you wish for, because the, the, the heroes hanging out scenes, we did get two pages of the beginning, and it's simply Green Arrow being a dick and Power Girl yes. being completely icky. So be careful. With, who knows what that could have been? I mean, what, what would Sunboy have done when he saw Power Girl? Good Lord. So, no, wonder Fire, no wonder Firestorm never got anywhere with Power Girl. She had her eyes <laughs> on Superman. I mean, you know. <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> well, if you guys are okay with it, why don't we go ahead and get into our features? Is that okay? Absolutely. And as we have other things, just throw them in at any point if you want. So, folks, if you may recall from the first episode we did, this is where we have some categories where we named some uh, different 
areas we want to discuss. For example, in this game, categories, this first one is the All-Stars, which, by the way, thanks Jeff R. for the name suggestion. This is where uh, we're going to each pick a member from each team and say which ones did uh, which one of those members did the best job and deserves recognition. So, uh, Rob, we'll, we'll go we'll go Rob, uh, Angie, and me. And so we'll start with JLA. Rob, who who was the All Star in the JLA for you this issue uh, or issues? I I mean I I don't think any of them particularly. <laughs> like, oh I think, wow! I I, don't, I mean well I I mean to me the, the the only guy that does much of anything in the story is Doctor Fate because he does everything. Wrong uh, team. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, <laughs> it, it, I understand what team Dr. Fate is on, Jack. Thank you. Um, it just, it, like, I guess, like, Batman has that cool moment where he talks about the like, scarecrow and stuff, but it's like, I don't know. To me, the, the JLA really are kind of along for the ride in a lot of respects. I guess Superman has the most moment, but, but to me, this is dominated by Dr. Fate. He really is driving the car in this story. All right, so we'll, I guess since Ross breaking the rules here, we'll go the whole way through. So JLA, you've got nobody. JSA, you've got Dr. Fate. Uh, did you happen to pick a Legion member? That wasn't part of the tenant, but I mean, hey, they're a team. Why not? Uh, no. <laughs> there's there's a good reason for that, because I don't think the Legion got much to do no. uh, in these stories. So, All right, Ange, why don't you go? Uh, give us JLA, JSA, and Legion. Uh, for JLA, I'll say Hal Jordan for doing the um, dark side to Daxum uh, uh terraforming of a planet so that it looks like a dragon uh, in the first chapter. For um, JSA, I'll say uh, Dr. Fate, I think uh, mostly for bringing the satellite together around the last remaining demon at the end. And for Legion, I'm going to say Wildfire, because if you look at that last issue's fight, he takes out Dr. Fate at one point. I think he takes out Hawkman at one point. Um, He's kind of like the bruiser for the Legion, and it shows Ours are very similar, actually. Uh, the only divergence is JLA. See, I picked Superman because you know he punches out the astral form of Mordru, which, by the way, that guy's magic, and Superman still knocked him out. Uh, you know, <laughs> Superman helped to develop the plan that defeated Gast, and most importantly, he resisted Power Girl. I mean, that had to take a lot of willpower. <laughs> Um, then on the JSA, again, Dr. Fate, because, you know, he convinced Mordrew to send the JSA and JLA to go look for the artifacts. He beat Gast, like you mentioned, and he still lost his body and was still a boss by the end. And then for Legion, I picked Wildfire simply because Wildfire really, even though Paul Lutz was involved in this thing, Wildfire really feels like he's the only character who had anything to do. I mean, he mm-hmm. was the one who had the dialogue with Superman repeatedly about, hey, I remember you, you did this, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, for the most part, the rest of the Legion were just kind of there. So that's why I gave it to, to Wildfire. Uh, now, the worst team member. Uh, we're still working on a name on this one. We've got some great suggestions, but I don't know that we're just there yet. So if you guys have more suggestions for the worst team member, throw them at us. Remember, this is a JSA-focused show, so let's keep them JSA-focused. But uh, So which team member did the most boneheaded action? I'll reverse the order this time. I'll go first. Um, I've got uh, – I, I struggle. I, I had, went through three different options, or I'll get to my third one. You, you mentioned Daxum and Darkseid. I'm going to mention Mr. Nebula for my JLI fans. I mean, he just totally retrofitted that whole planet to meet his needs so he could get that freaking bell. I just think that's totally wrongheaded. But <laughs> All right, Ange, who's the worst team ever? Uh, for me, I, I went through several because everybody has a little bit of a boneheaded um, pick. Um, one of the ones, ironically, even though I said he was the best Legionnaire, was for worst team member, I would say Wildfire, because at least four times in these issues, he... Um, shoots Superman, even though he knows Superman won't be affected. 
So he's like, I'll shoot you. And then like two pages later, he's like, well, I'll shoot you with both hands now. And then he's like, I'll shoot you with both hands and my visor. And like Superman, by the last time, is like, you know, it's not going to affect me, right? So, um, so I thought that that was pretty ridiculous. But honestly, the worst team member is kind of, I think, on either the first or second page. The JSAers are just trying to get home. And Green Arrow uses the boxing glove arrow to like break the machine that will let them go home. Uh, and he's like, because I just want you guys to hang around. Like, what if somebody has a meeting with us? <laughs> right. Uh, so I was like, that's pretty, that's like a dick move. <laughs> you know? so. My medication was in Keystone City, you dick. I had to take yeah. <laughs> Rob, what about you? Worst team member? Yeah, it's hands down. It's it's Green Arrow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not only for the moment that Ann just pointed out, but he has an even worse moment. Later on in the story, page 19 of issue 147, where Black Canary is whispering to Green Arrow and she accidentally refers to herself as part of the us JSAers. And Green Arrow gets super offended and he goes, us JSAers? What do you mean by that? You're with the JLA now, lady. And we're not exactly pikers, you know. She's talk about patronizing. First of all, we're in the middle of a galactic battle with Mordrew. Do we really need to get into this right now, Green Arrow? And secondly, this is issue 147 of Justice League of America. Black Canary joined in issue number 75. She has been a member of the team for half of this book's run, and he is still sensitive about this? I I mean... I like Renaro. He's one of my favorite characters, but man, he is such a jackass in this story. So to me, he, <laughs> he wins it hands down. He gets to sleep on the cosmic couch tonight, I think, is what's going to oh. happen there. <laughs> All right. Um, best villain moment. Why don't we start with you, Ange? What is the best villain? Because everyone loves the bad guys, right? So what's the best mo- uh, villain moment of any of these issues? For for me, I kind of already mentioned it, but, you know, Mordrew comes off as such a badass in the first issue that when the three demons come out and they're like, oh, you thought you were going to take our power? Actually, we're just going to defeat you is is the best move, because that's sort of like, um, uh, you know, the mega boss beating the mini boss that you weren't expecting to happen. I, I will echo that was that's actually my pick as well. So there we go. I absolutely concur. Rob, what about you? Uh, it's a hat trick. It's that Woo! moment where they turn on Mordrew because I love it when villains are villainous. You know, they're just like, why, why would we get along with you? Just because you have, what, lightning bolts on the side of your head? What do we care about that? The minute they're free, they just turn on them. I just think that's <laughs> wonderful. It's like, aha, Mordrew, ha-ha, you know, you thought you were going to somehow control these three guys, you know, just because, what, they're they're stuck in, uh, you know, Monopoly tokens? No, they're going to turn on you immediately. <laughs> so I think that was great. It's very on character for Abnick Rathar Rath and Rathen guest. Awesome. So hat trick there. I should have mentioned, by the way, that category uh, is called Menaces to Society, which was uh, suggested by uh, Jeff R. also, so and echoed by a lot of folks. So Menaces to Society is that category. And the last one's our overall favorite moment of the story. Uh, Rob, why don't you kick us off? It could be anything. It could be in the story. It could be the art. Just whatever is simply your favorite thing about this, these issues. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the art, uh, and it's the big – it's not the splash page, which is the opening, you know, either, either of the splash pages, which are nice. But it is the page five of the first book where we get the full page shot of Mordrew's hand grabbing all the heroes. And I just think it's a wonderfully dramatic moment. It looks great. I mean, he's drawing, what, like 12 figures on a page um, on top of all this star Kirby crackle in the background. And you see, like, the, the you know, the uh, dates flying by because they're going through time. It's just setting the stage to the story 
uh, in a wonderfully dramatic way. And I think it just looks fantastic. It reminds me a lot of um, that uh, JLI cover that Kevin McGuire did. Like, what, what yeah. issue was that? The, uh, one the, white... the one with the constructs lifting them up. Yeah, right. Exactly. I just think it's a great image. And to me, it's it's that kind of big screen excitement that Justice League of America in its in its best moments brought you. And it's courtesy of Dick Dillon and uh, his draftsmanship uh, abilities. All right, Ange, what about you? Uh, this is going to, uh, it's definitely the satellite being brought back together to act as the bottle for Gast. Um, ah, okay. Uh, I think that's a great moment. Uh, and uh, I'm going to veer a little bit into film and water if I can. I'm, uh, I uh, love the Hellraiser horror movie series. And in one of, I think it's Hellraiser 4, a guy constructs a satellite that folds in on itself to become the Hellraiser cube. Um, and captures the demons on the inside. And I wonder if uh, whoever wrote the script for that movie, like, read this comic and, and sort of cribbed it. Because I was like, oh, my God, it's just like the end of Hellraiser 4, a sentence that no one has ever said any other time. <laughs> um, but uh, but I just got all jazzed about it. I was like, oh, it's like the Le Marchand box being made, um, which is crazy. <laughs> I actually wondered, thinking, it's like, I wonder if Jerry Conway read this, and this is why he blew up the satellite, you know, several oh. years later. I don't know. Um, that was not an answer I was expecting, Ange. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my answer actually echoes Rob's a little bit. It's not so much the art on that necessarily page, but the whole idea of this giant hand coming into the satellite and getting all grabby and stuff. I just love that. It's it's so crazy, science fiction-y, you know, the, the, the big hand comes through there and it's disembodied, it's grabbing people. Dr. Fate surrounds it with those cool onk rings and everything. I just, I think the whole the whole concept and the way it's illustrated and laid out in the story, the whole thing combined, just the, the crazy giant hand is, is my favorite bit. Yeah, so, all right. Now, all right. Uh, those are our various categories. Now we get into a couple other discussion points. Rob likes to tell us uh, how they describe what is Earth 1 and Earth 2. Why don't you tell us about that, Rob? Yeah, they, they get away with it in just two panels uh, right on uh, page two of the story. And uh, we, we see that the, they're, they're, they're up, right, talking to Psycho Pirate, as we talked about. And then you get uh, this this kind of weirdly drawn hand. Uh, <laughs> it's not one of Dick Dillon's best because, like, the palm is way too big compared to the fingers. But they had to do it to fit in all the text. And it's like, hold it in case you're slightly puzzled. Let's take time out for our deftly condensed sl uh, slide to the dual cosmos. The JLA dwells on Earth 1, so designated because there exists a parallel world named Earth 2. And then we get the classic uh, little dual shot of Flash. And the two Flashes talk about that they vibrate at different speed. And uh, they talk about it's Jay Garrick and the Flash is the Flash for 2. And then they get right back to the story. So it's incredibly condensed. But I do, I, I do find it fun that for however many years... Uh, decades almost, uh, they felt the need to do this every single time. I, I would love to compile these in like one, <laughs> one long Twitter feed or something like that, but I already have enough of those. <laughs> well, you know, it is every comic is some kids first, so there's a mm -hmm. good reason for the editors to catch you up on that. So, yep. yeah. No, I wish I could remember somewhere along the way you guys showed one where, you know how it's always Aquaman and Dr. Fate? Oh, thank you, for, thank you for mentioning that. Please, but, but, describe it in greater detail. No, but in one of the ones that, that I, whatever issue it was, I wish I could remember, but I was reading along with you guys as you were discussing it, it was the Creeper and Dr. Fate. And I was like, all right, they brought out like the big guns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Again, a sentence that's never been said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, the thing I took away from this, Robin, I didn't realize it until the second time reading. On the palm, 
they talk about deftly condensed and dual cosmos, and they very clearly uh, bolded the D and the C both times. So I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Well done, Paul and Marty. Well done. Well done. Um, all right. So then I'd like to take a moment to discuss the specific members as far as how they match up, like, you know, the different teams. And there's a little bit just to talk about here. Like, you know, we've identified who all's here. But if you think about how they matched up, you know, you don't have other than the Green Lanterns, you don't have any one for one matchups. The closest you get is Superman and Power Girl. And then you get a lot of uh, different ones. Like you didn't get the two Hawkmen uh, and they didn't give this Hawkman anything to do anyway. But if you think about again, we're focused on JSA here. Uh, if you look at what was going on in the All-Star Comics book at the time, the JSA members not really involved in this. Like Wildcat and Star Spangled Kid, even though they do appear like in the first page or two, they don't really get anything to do with the story. And then we get nothing on Our Man and Robin at all. So uh, interesting that they left those out. Now, Robin maybe the duplicity. You know, they're worried about duplicates and stuff like that. But Our Man, he could, he could have been here. I don't see why he didn't end up making it. Now, the current JLA members, there's a whole bunch that don't make it in here Fla- uh, you know Barry Allen Flash Wonder Woman Aquaman Adam Hawkman Hawkgirl Red Tornado Elongated Man a whole bunch of them just not there I guess that happened a lot which is why Aquaman got pissed off and uh, blew the charter because no- nobody would show up for these things but <laughs> anyway so um so that, that's that's basically where I was going with that. It's just noticing the the, the team, the matchups didn't. There weren't a lot of them, like as, as far as other, except for the two Green Lanterns. And again, they're so different that it, it works. I think they were really trying with nineteen characters. They didn't want to risk having two people that were too similar. Like they didn't want to have two Superman or two Batman or two Wonder Woman or you know the overlapping obvious ones to confuse people. You know, it's interesting because yeah, and then we're not even mentioning all of the Legionnaires who are part of the team, right? That team oh yeah, is good point. Like twenty or twenty-five, um, uh, and so, and as you say, really none of them got anything to do, right? Like Ultra Boy was one of the Legionnaires. We never see him do anything, right? He, in theory, is as powerful as Superman when his super strength is activated. So, um, uh, you know, the, so the only think, the only thing Ultra Boy did was worry about Green Arrow and Black Canary, and that's all he did. Yeah, so um, so I do wonder if, uh, from the Legionnaires' point of view, if they just pulled names out of a hat, because there doesn't seem to be any sort of cohesive reason for those guys. Yeah, and it's weird, because Paul was involved, you know, like, uh, yeah. like, Saturn Girl gets, like, one or two lines, and she's pretty bitchy. She's like, hey, Wildfire sucks as a leader, doesn't he, everyone? Why did we vote <laughs> him in? It's like, wow, okay, that's kind of cold. But then multiversal hijinks, these are things that are just... I wanted to bring, this is kind of a fun area to talk about, like bonkers stuff that has to do with multiple Earth concepts. So I'll, I'll start mine if you guys have any to chime in. Like the whole multi-Earth Power Girl thing, it, we've talked to it to death, but just, yeah, there, there's a weird, creepy parallel world issue where she's hitting on, eventually, like I said, her stepdad. It's really weird. And then the, the thing with the dimensional teleporter about it needing an hour to warm up. Yeah, Green Arrow just is out of Fs to give. And he delays them for a complete hour for no reason other than he wants to hang out, which is totally a dick move, which even screws over, you know, if you think about it, uh, Wildcat and Star Spangled Kid the most because they just have to sit there while everyone else goes off on this time traveling, you know, expedition. For all we know, maybe there's some untold story of how Psycho Pirate got loose again on Earth 1. It was up to Star Spangled Kid and Wildcat to stop him, which would have been a hell of a great story. Any other multiversal uh, sort of parallel world hijinks you guys want to call out? No, I think the Power Girl one is so huge that nothing else is worth mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and then in science bonk, there's some, there's always some kind of science thing that's in here that is absolutely bonkers. And the thing that really bothered me was the demons, right? The, th- the demons three, when they decide to fight out by proxy, again, great way to introduce that word to kids, but they 
they, they don't just grab legionnaires. I mean, there's like, I don't know, 87 legionnaires gra- running around. They could have grabbed any number of legionnaires to do this. But instead, they're like, hey, we're going to grab these five people from the 30th century. And then we're just going to reach back in time to 1977 and grab a bunch of other people, which is, again, it almost makes me wonder if issue one was intended to be a one and done. Uh, like maybe they stopped the demons from getting free and that's the way it was originally written. And the editor came along and said, no, 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 uh, make it two issues. And so they let the demons get loose. Because, again, the second issue is just completely nonsensical. And it's like trying to overturn everything that happened in the first issue. Uh, so it just – it makes no sense. And from a quote-unquote science perspective, it's like, what? What? I think it's charming that you think anything related to science happens in these two issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll join you in that thought, Chad, because the thing that I thought about this was that um, – you know, Rob, you might remember that you and I did a review of another Justice League comic where Supergirl ended up fighting with the uh, League uh, and facing off against Despero. Sure. Um, and in that story, there are omniscient aliens who control them to fight each other because they like seeing people fight. And I'm like, it's sort of like Star Trek's The Next Generation. Like, how many omnipotent beings are there that are out there that can control us? Um uh, so it just seemed like that was a replay of those issues that one more time, these immensely powerful beings are controlling these folks to fight each other. Um, uh, and it just made me, you know, sort of say there are too many omnipotent beings out there. All right. So that is your uh, quotient of bizarre multiversal and science hijinks. Now, this is where we're going to do a JSA member character spotlight. Rob, uh, who are you going to tell us about today? Well, I feel bad for Hawkman because he has nothing to do in this story at all. Right. He really is just along for the ride, so I picked him. I've always been a fan of the, the concept. I mean, the Earth-1 version is more my, my, my favorite, but I always liked Hawkman. And, of course, the secret identity is Carter Hall. We all know that. He first appeared in Flash Comics number 1, so he dates back that far. Created Oof. by Gardner Fox and Dennis Neville. Uh, he joined the JSA as of All-Star Comics number 3, so he was in it right from the very beginning. His final Golden Age appearance is in All-Star Comics number 57. So he kind of came in with the Justice Society, basically left with the Justice Society. Um, he only ever appeared in two series, All-Star Comics and Flash Comics, where he had his own feature. He never got his own book. If you go through Mike's Amazing World and you look at his, uh, his Earth 2 or his Golden Age appearances, he literally does not appear in any other comic book except for those two series, except for one one-off, which hmm. was called the Big All-American comic which was like just a one shot that dc did it was an anthology featuring all their characters but he was very limited to being in flash and then the all-star with the justice society and that was it so when the all-star comics got canceled and the jsa went out so did he and he basically disappeared i mean again we can go over his origin most people already know it his origin powers they start in the days of ancient egypt when prince khufu was the foe of the high priest of the god anubis Hatset, who intended to conquer the world Hatset's soldiers captured Khufu and his beloved Shera, and Hatset fatally stabs Khufu. Before his death, Khufu predicted that both he and Hatset would one day live again, and that next time Khufu would be the victor. Centuries later, wealthy scientist Carter Hall comes into possession of the very knife with which Khufu has been murdered. Hall then had a dream about Khufu's death and realized that he was Khufu's reincarnation. Shortly afterwards, Hall met Shira Sanders, the reincarnation of Khufu's beloved. Hatset also had been reincarnated as the scientist Dr. Anton Haster, and still planned to conquer Earth. Hall garbed himself in the guise of the Egyptian hawk god, including large artificial wings and a belt of nymph metal, a discovery of halls that could defy gravity. Using the belt and wings, Hall can fly. As Hawkman, 
Paul tracked down Haster and prevented him from killing Shara. And that basically was the beginning of Hawkman's career. I mean, his other notable appearances have to be in All-Star Squadron, where he appeared in every single issue of that book, 67 issue run. run. Uh, Roy Thomas made uh, sure of that. It was an editorial mandate. <laughs> he appeared in every single issue. There were some issues where he literally only appears on the cover in just a headshot, even though he's not in the story. But Roy Thomas loved Hawkman so much that he is in every single issue of All-Star Squadron. And uh, that is one of the reasons why I love the character uh, I love both versions. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's our uh, observation here is that even though Hawkman here doesn't get much to do, he is still a super cool character. I thought that Roy did that because he appeared in every issue of the All-Star appearances of JSA. So that's why he did it with uh, All-Star Squadron. I thought that's why he was doing it. Well, okay. he, well, yes, but he also because he also really loves Hawkman. Yeah. So I, I'll take it as I'll take a step further. So Hawkman, they, they've done a lot with the character over the years. And, you know, in the 90s slash 2000s, they created sort of a hybrid of the Earth one Hawkman and the Earth two Hawkman in, in the post crisis where it's he's like part Cater Hall. He's part Carter Hall. And he becomes a, not savage, but he becomes a lot more aggressive, a lot more warrior based, you know, swinging that mason, beating the crap out of people. You know, the Hawkman series that came, that spun out of JSA is a great example of that. That's the version of Hawkman I like the best. He's he's the total badass. He's, you know, he's very, he's still the, essentially the Carter Hall version, you know, the archaeologist, the reincarnation, uh, with Shiera as his beloved of many centuries. But he's just a tough, tough, tough character. And it just, it adds a little bit of a ruggedness to him. So that's the version I adore is that version from the 2000s. Uh, I'll just join in and say that, um, I found the first two volumes of, um, the Golden Age Hawkman in the DC archives, very, very cheap and read those. And those are really beautifully drawn, um, uh, comics. And he is brutal in that. He kills people oh. with ancient weapons without compulsion. You're a bad guy. You're probably going to end up dead. One guy, he like dislocates his head with a wrestling move. Uh, it's really, really, uh, gorgeous stuff, but like old school brutal. Well, maybe that's uh, maybe the 2000s version was uh, was more of an inspiration from that rather than going their own direction. Wow, that's awesome. Well, he's a great character, and uh, I love that they still use him. And you know, it's interesting in the post-crisis universe. Whenever they do a new Hawkman, they don't really distinguish the differences between Earth One and Earth Two Hawkmans anymore. But they usually try and find some middle ground. You know, they try and make him reincarnated, whether he's from Thanagar or not. So they try and bring the this the essence of this version. So. Very beloved character. So, Ange, Rob and I got to go on and go do the listener feedback. But why don't you take a second to share some final thoughts on the JSA, these issues, and tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs. Uh, well, I'll just say that I do have an Abnegazer Wrath and Gas favorite moment of my own, and it appears in the Grant Morrison JLA run when the electric Superman is able to stop them from pulling the moon down onto the earth. Um, and for those of you who are looking for me, I run a Supergirl blog called uh, Comic Box Commentary uh, that you can just type in. And I am uh, most active on Twitter at Dr. H70. And I have to thank you guys because I know I was like the nerd friend in high school who said, like, I heard you're having a party. Can I join you? And <laughs> thankfully said, yes, and we will let you join us to talk about these issues. So thank you guys very much. Well, you brought the hunch punch. We had to let you in. <laughs> I didn't realize that's what that sounds like when somebody does it to you. <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot of Rob's podcasting career. So, uh, and seriously, I really appreciate you being here. And uh, it's been a blast, man. It's always great to catch up with you. And I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Uh, I hope so, too. Thanks a lot. 
All right, folks, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we're going to do your feedback in a segment called Views from Earth Prime. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series. Five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. always have to say it that way. Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It- Richard, Richard Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, We'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, you don't know about me and him? (laughs) Me and Superman? Views from Earth Prime. So that is what we are calling our feedback section. And thanks to DC Day for that suggestion. That is a brilliant name for your feedback, folks. Now, I got to say, everyone, you people are amazing. The first episode of JSA Crisis got (laughs) 64 comments on our website. Oh, my Lord. So due to the volume of feedback, what we're going to do for these shows is when we do the feedback sections, we're going to focus on comments on our website. What's that website, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep. We're going to focus on iTunes reviews, and we're going to focus on – are they called Apple Podcast reviews now? Are they still called iTunes reviews? I don't even know. Apple Podcast. Okay. And we're going to focus on emails, which, by the way, is justasocietypresents at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on uh, the Fire and Water email address, any of them, really. But anyway, so we're going to focus on just those. We're probably not going to delve into Twitter and Facebook and all that, because it's just too much. There's just so much. You guys are so passionate about the JSA that uh, we're going to focus on here. And by the way, just narrowing it down to that, writing it all down for Rob and I look at it's still 27 pages long. Holy moly. Did so we're you- going to blow... Did you guys out there not know this was not an episode of Who's Who? (laughs) It feels like that, doesn't it? (laughs) So we're going to blow through this as quickly as possible. We're not going to read every word that you guys wrote. That's not possible. So we're just kind of cherry-picking some of your comments. We're going to start off with your iTunes or Apple Podcast reviews. And uh, so if you don't mind, please consider going out to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review because it does help raise the profile of the show and helps new people find our community. So we'll start off with Jay from New Bedford. Uh, who goes by Dr. Fate 40, by the way. Love the handle. Jay says, another instant classic by the Fire and Water Podcast Network with a glorious start by Shag and Rob. Uh, this podcast, with all its upcoming shows, <laughs> looks to quickly become my favorite, and its potential is limitless. Thanks, FW Podcast Network. Well, you're welcome, Jay. We actually did it just for you, so I'm glad you're enjoying it. 
You know, Shag, Apple Podcast Review don't allow for bolding or italicizing, so <laughs> he didn't emphasize you over me or anything like that. A little cr- creative interpretation is what that Okay, was sure. Um, Al Gerding, who recently commissioned an art piece featuring Red V getting the upper hand against Darkseid. That's that's commitment to the bit, Al. It's amazing. Have you seen it? It's glorious. Have, yes. yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I imagine the person who drew that was like, the who? The What? You know? No, he was very excited about it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, who the hell knows who the Red B is? Well, guess, uh, guess who Al shared it with? Who did Al Roy, Roy Thomas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Roy was like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, anyway, Al Gerding. Anyway, Al Gerding says, a top-notch network, super squad of podcast hosts. The first episode was better than I expected, and I expected awesomeness. I'm in for the long haul. Love the JSA, and I'm so happy these guys are covering them. Thank you, Al. That is very kind. You know, Al used to run back in the dark days of the internet. Uh, he ran a Golden Age podcast. So that's high praise coming from a, a fellow Golden Age podcaster. So thanks so much, Al. Then we heard from Rata Seti. Uh, that's all, that's the only way they're labeled. So Rata Seti says, I have heard the introduction of this new podcast. This is what I've been waiting for. Comics first super team. It can't be anything but good. The introduction said you would be viewing solo JSA members and this is a must listen. Oh, well, I hope we're not disappointing, Rod Tossetti. I hope you're enjoying it. So thanks so much. Again, folks, remember, go out to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Now we're going to dive into those 64 comments on our website. Rob, when do you kick us off? All right. We got a comment from Guy Casals, uh, who does the Alfred Pennyworth Presents podcast uh, and a Legion 60 Years Later podcast. Well, that's two very disparate fandoms there. Uh, He says, (laughs) love the concept of the show. Consider me subscribed. I, too, always got a kick out of the explanation panel for the two Earths and the classic full page pinup style. Joe Staten almost gives me ASRM every time I see it. Well, thank you, Gus. We appreciate that. Then we heard from Sean Emmons. Sean says, interesting, the image you posted of the cover of issue number 22 shows that misdrawn Adam is colored as Dr. Fate, and it works. I'm just thinking maybe it was drawn as Fate, but then recolored incorrectly rather than drawn wrong. So actually, what that's a reference to is, Rob, you mentioned on the episode that the Adam's mask was wrong. You said, no, they drew Adam's mask with a, um, like his 1940s mask. Turns out we were looking at an image that was colored wrong. It was actually Dr. Fate that they colored as the Adam. That, so, I never would have I had never would have guessed that. I know. Gus Casals double check for us. He had to go back and double check. And yes, his hard copy, just like mine, uh, had the wrong cowl by the digital image, uh, but the I had shared a digital digital image from the DC website. And so they had it corrected there. So we didn't, I didn't even catch up. I had two different sources myself and didn't even see it. So wow. Thanks so much, y'all. Uh, eagle eyes, Sean Emmons. That, that is fantastic. Thank you. We got a comment from Net Ministrator, uh, who does the DC Multiverse Earth One and Earth Two blog. He says, uh, the Golden Age Hawkman first wore the cloth mask in Flash Comics number 98 of August 1948. I believe the second cover had a miscolored Dr. Fate with Green Arrow rather than Alplant Adam to match the pairings in the story. The Crime Champions' cool retro headquarters in Limbo we reuse when the JSA and the JLA team up with the Squadron of Justice of Earth-S. The theme of trapping villains or heroes in interdimensional Limbo will repeat from this story in the Crime Syndicate and the Secret Society tales later on. Also, it seems there is a 20-year lag between the two Earths, as, for example, either the Hour Man, as, showcase, as in Showcase 56 in 1965, right after his first JLA-JC meeting, 
Rex meets his wife, Wendy Tyler, Earth 2 version of Super Friends Wendy Tyler, according to that book's letter column. Well, and they what? Have, and they, it's crazy. And they have a son, Rick, who goes, who by the mid-80s is already 20. But over on Earth 1, the mid-60s and the mid-80s, Robin is only each maybe five years or so. <laughs> now, I don't know if I highlighted it in the feedback, but someone else mentions that also, that I guess Roy points that out in the uh, America versus the JSA storyline. So that, that weird sliding time scale on Earth 2 versus <laughs> Earth 1. And Chuck Coletta, who's the doctor of pop culture at Bowling Green State University, chimes in because I, I was shocked by this. Rex's wife is Wendy. That's crazy. And he even says Marvin is the son of the original Golden Age Diana Prince. Yes. And he doesn't mean Wonder Woman. Captain Entropy clarifies, you mean the one that Wonder Woman bought her identity from. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that is absolutely them. That had to all be E. Nelson Bridwell. I mean, that just sounds yes, like something. Yes, totally. It's totally him. He cops to it in the letters pages of Super Friends. That's nuts. All right. They're from Michael Bailey from the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcast Network and formerly of the Tales of the JSA Podcasting Network. He says, a fantastic first episode, gents, but then again, I'm an easy mark for JSA. I've spent a lot of time on that real estate and glad y'all have started this. Aw, thank you. That's a very kind endorsement from someone who uh, who is the shepherd of JSA in our podcasting circles for a long time. Then Mike goes on to say, I have to agree with Shag about the dialogue of the heroes complaining about the fact that there isn't any crime to bust. I was mentioning the JSA were naughty. He says, I know it's very much of the time in these more innocent stories, but did Green Lantern really just hope some innocent bank teller gets a gun or some other weapon pointed at his face because he's bored? You have a job, Alan. Go putter around the broadcasting studio and stop wishing for civilians to have to go to therapy because the fiddler stuck up their place at work. (laughs) (laughs) Totally agree, Mike. Completely agree. Thank you. I love how indignant Mike is there. Uh, so James, James Williams says, the very first issue of Justice League of America that I purchased off a of spinner rack was a JLA-JSA crossover. It was the first part of a two-parter where they fought the Injustice Society and Carrie Bates. That, that's just a fun sentence. That issue made me a lifelong fan of both teams. We're really looking forward to listening to this and all future episodes of this new podcast. Thank you, James. Awesome. Then Mike Thomas says, great first episode, guys. This is such a fun idea for a podcast. I started collecting in the, 19, uh, the late 70s and remember learning about Earth 2 from the annual JLA-JSA team-ups. You guys mentioned our Dr. Fate's gloves are missing. Do you think maybe he loaned his gloves to the Earth 2 Aquaman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for those of you who uh, have just found us because of the JSA, there's a long controversy. This network actually got founded on an Aquaman and Firestorm show. And Rob and I have been fighting about the Golden Age Aquaman and the Yellow Gloves for many years. So thank you, Mike. Thank you. Uh, Rob McCarthy from the Hell on Wheels blog says, you really think Felix Faust is a bad costume? Isn't he the only super early JLA foe that's not just a dude in a lab coat? <laughs> that's, that, that's a little unfair, Rob, but it's not far off. So, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not going to disagree with you, Rob, but I, I still cop to the Felix Faust is a not ready for primetime player. So uh, quick credit to Jeff R. Again, he's the one who recommended the all-stars name for our featured category. So thank you so much, Jeff. We appreciate that. And then uh, DC Dave, again, thanks to you for uh, suggesting views from Earth Prime for listener feedback. Those are fantastic. We got a comment from Paul Ken, who uh, just appeared last week on our uh, Holy Grails episode of FW Presents. That was super fun. Woo-hoo. He says, says awesome first episode. Immediately bumped to the top of my podcast list, which is woefully behind with no commute. A few thoughts. Love the variety idea jumping around. There's only so much Fox Sikowski I can take. <laughs> the, be- the best discussion that I could think could be an ongoing topic is the need for the crisis. This is a tough one. I started reading in the 70s, and I'm always offended when I hear Marv Wolfman talk about how complicated the multiple Earth concept is. Look at our TV shows and movies now. I was a kid and never had a problem. And some great stories came out of this idea. To kill a legend, anyone? But Crisis was great and momentous, and when it was coming out, I could not read it fast enough. It was big. 
I agree with Shag. Some of the best comics came out post-crisis. With no crisis, we get no Starman, no Jeff Johns, JSA, etc. So the reality is I have given up trying to decide what I like best since I like them all. And then he says, thanks again to both Rob and Chag for this great episode, idea, and new podcast. I must have been inspired since this was my far, by far my longest comment ever. <laughs> well, Paul, uh, Chris Franklin from our network and I, 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 we actually hashed it out one day. Uh, I went to go visit him in Kentucky. We had this amazing dinner, and then we sat in his car uh, and then argued about whether Crisis uh, was worth it or not. It's in an episode, I think of supermates i can't remember whether supermates or fire and water but uh it's it's ages gone now and uh, maybe it's worth revisiting but yeah it, it could get a bit bloody uh actually because there's some pretty strong feelings both ways i think uh then we heard from stan brown it says i love these stories my first jla jsa crossover was the murder of mr terrific represent stan me too man uh stan says i was nine and it was the coolest of the parallel earth counterpart heroes really was thrilling as to this first crossover not featuring dr midnight johnny thunder or wonder woman it seems that julia schwartz was thinking after the revivals of flash green lantern adam and hawkman that dr Fay and our man might be the best of the others to try even if it wasn't until 1965 that they were featured in showcase team-ups Hmm, that is issue. Could you imagine if they'd introduced an Earth One version of Doctor Fate or an Earth One version of Our Man? That would have been really interesting. I would have wondered what they would have done differently. Yeah, that would have been really, really cool to have double Doctor Fates running around. Oh my gosh! <laughs> really cool. Too much goodness. Uh, Steve Given says, "Ah, the inaugural episode of the show I've been eagerly anticipating. I like the idea that this will be a hodgepodge of JSA-centric topics from a variety of perspectives and covering any and every era of the JSA." It's like a golden age potluck dinner where each lid you remove reveals one delicious JSA treat after another. <laughs> great, great metaphor, Steve. Uh, as for Rob, your observations about the art made me seriously rethink my take on Mike Sikowski. While I've always respected the groundwork he laid in being the first JLA artist, I never really considered him a good artist. But your comments about his work on these issues, particularly the Johns Johns panel, made me reconsider my view of his work. I'm now going to re-examine Sikowski's art. So, all right, I realized something that I kept screwing up last episode. Um, I kept saying Mike Sikowski's name wrong, and I tried to credit to Monsters, Inc., but I realized now what my problem was. On the JSA series that starts in the 90s, it goes into the 2000s, the artist was Steven Sadowski. I mean, how crazy is that? Mike Sikowski and Steven Sadowski both worked on these JSA stories. So it's, uh, there's too much parallel there, too much parallel. Okay. <laughs> Can I finish this letter from Steve, please? I thought you were done. I stopped listening to you a while ago. Okay, okay. go ahead. He says, uh, I'm now going to re-examine Sikowski's work and those early JLA issues with a less dismissive eye. Thanks. By the way, I really love Jeff Hart's suggestions for what to call the best and worst of each story you cover. Great ideas. Well, they both stuck. All stars and menaces to society. So there we there go. There you go. Uh, then Alan Wright, who does the Bold Outlaw Robin Hood website, wrote in to say, I have a feeling, maybe wrong, that although Barry and Jay talk about publications years in Flash of Two Worlds, the revived JSA weren't tied that strongly to World War II until their origin in the 1970s and then the All-Star Squadron. For a lot of those team-ups, they seem just a decade or so older than the JLA heroes. As for the sliding timescale started for them was when they met Barry Allen. I know, Roy, oh, I mentioned her. This is where it is. Okay. I know Roy Thomas introduced the smart idea that the JLA JSA encounters did happen in the publication year on Earth 2. And the JSAers noticed something was wonky with time on Earth 1. It gets mentioned to the JSA as they're testifying about their team ups in America versus the JSA. Uh, thank you, Alan, for bringing that up. Yes, perfect. And then uh, Alan goes on to say, also, if you're looking for an offbeat Earth-1, Earth-2 team-up, in the backup stories from the New Adventures of Superboy, issues 15 and 16, the Earth-1 Superboy travels in time and crosses dimensions to meet and train the teenage Clark Kent of Earth-2. 
So in a sense, this makes the Earth-1 Superman the inspiration for all the Earth-2 heroes as well. Wow. Somebody, uh, this is Shaq, somebody really went out of their way to make sure the Earth-1 Superman, the prime Superman, was the inspiration, I think, for everyone. That is, that is a trip. That's crazy. <laughs> I assume in a later issue he goes back to the creation of time and just creates all of life on Earth or something. I mean, good Lord. <laughs> Superman doesn't have to be responsible for everything for people. (laughs) Uh, Little Russell Burbage from the Legion of Super Bloggers, the Friends of Justice blog, and his own JLA comic strip says, love this idea. One of the first JLA issues I ever got was JLA 114, which reprints the crime syndicate JLA JSA team up. So I was hooked nearly right out of the gate. I was going to chime in that the miscolored hero of the jail, the cover of Jelly 22 is actually Dr. Fate, but Sean beat me to it. To my eye, it is clearly Dr. Fate colored as if he was the Earth 2 Adam. Well, geez, sorry, Russell. Where were you when we recorded the show? <laughs> but no, he's not wrong. I mean, the minute the guys wrote that, and I went back and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. Yep. And then the yep. crazy thing is that they've recolored and fixed it and uh, just crazy. Uh, then we heard from Noah Tarnow from the I Don't Get It, the Pop Culture Get Off My Lawn cast, and also the big quiz thing. Uh, Noah writes, oh, the existence of this show in this specific episode makes me so happy. I agree with your general general sentiment about this story. It's not the greatest JLA-JSA team-up ever. It might not even be a very good one, but it has its moments. And I always love that wall in the ocean image. And what it represents is nothing less than awesome on every level. While Sikowski didn't always impress, when he was on, he was quite impressive. Check out the shadows in Felix Faust's face on the page where the crimes champions are just chilling. By the way, there, there was no who's who listing on the crimes champions, which I consider a major oversight. You know, that's fair, Noah. Uh, there really should have been a, something in there about them. I agree completely. One thing I didn't mention uh, in our issue recaps with Ange, and I should have in terms of the art, was uh, I was really impressed by Dick Dillon's replication of Sikowski's style when he's drawing the three demons because they had a kind of real herky-jerky anatomy, uh, which doesn't really jive with the way Dick Dillon drew things, but you could say Dillon was trying to channel that because hmm. when they appear in it, they look a little more like Sikowski's designs and just the way he used uh, the, the, their figure, their, the figure work is very Sikowski. So I think Dick Dillon was purposely channeling Sikowski for those uh, appearances. So, um, I, I, I don't feel like I said it enough this episode because we were bagging on a lot of stuff, but Dick Dillon's art is so gorgeous yeah. in these issues. So good. He drew JLA 12 years straight, only missing one issue in 12, oh, 12 years. Can you imagine? We're almost up to that record, Chad, but we're not there yet. We've so, missed a few uh, Sundays here there. We have missed a few <laughs> Sundays. Uh, Matt Soroy says, Joy, Shag, and Rob are doing a JLA's JSA-centric podcast. He put a big space between and and Rob. I don't understand. Remember uh, how you I, said uh, text doesn't carry emotion? I think this does. <laughs> okay. He says, I love the JSA and judging from the amount of comments already here, so do a lot of people. It would seem... Uh, the only folks that don't have a love and respect for these heroes is DC Comics. Oh, in the late in the, in the late 70s or early 80s, Earth 2 was the most exciting and unpredictable place in the DC multiverse. Heroes could and did actually die. I'm glad the show will jump around, so I hopefully won't have to wait too long to listen to episodes about Infinity Inc. Thanks, guys. I'm very excited about this new Umbrella podcast. We're going to have to do some of this. We're getting a lot of requests for Infinity Inc. I mean, you know, the, the easiest would be to do that uh, 1985 crossover, the one that took place during Crisis, the Infinity Inc. and the the steel issue so maybe we'll have to think about that at some point uh rob's going completely silent on that no 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 no. i love infinite the first 10 issues of infinity inc are great i would be happy to do that this would be issue 19 that involved the todd mcfarland drawing uh Mm. crisis i know i hear that (laughs) they're from david ace gutierrez this is great episode i never quite took to the jsa outside the world war ii era but your passion for the subject is uh is audio candy Aw. Well, thank you so much, David. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe your, your passion for the JSA will grow. 
Bradley Null says, two of my favorite podcasters talking about my favorite thing in comics. Yes, I'm a big crossover fan and an Alan Scott, the first best Green Lantern fan, but I don't mean those. Those loves come from the Loving the Summer crossover of the JLA JSA. Justice League of America 147-148 is where I decided to become a collector. Hey, Bradley. Not having Perez art inside 208 caused my first boycott of DC. (laughs) From 8 until 18, this team-up was always my favorite thing. Even the issues I boycotted were great. I have the trade. This is going to be a fun show. Thank you, Bradley. And Wow, boy, that timed out perfectly, didn't it? We did this one just for you, man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Then uh, somebody wrote in named Dr. Ange. I don't know who this guy is, but supposedly he's with Legion of Super Bloggers and the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary blog. Uh, He writes, as a child of the Bronze Age, JLA, I definitely love the annual crossovers. Pretty sure I learned about Darkseid from one of them. So looking forward to this one. Uh, So love this crisis subset. And uh, the catch-all of any team-up, any GSA, makes me very happy. Hope someone covers the Power Girl-Supergirl dynamic and multiple crossovers. Hmm. Might be something to look forward to. But uh, if we were to ever speak with this Dr. Ange person, we could uh, pick his brain about it. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Chris Franklin, of course, from our network. He does uh, all sorts of shows. He's going to be working on the Starman Chronicles uh, show as part of the JSA Presents Umbrella title. Uh, he says, late to the party, so Firestorm probably nervously drank all the soda while macking on Power Girl. Had a very <laughs> fun debut, gentlemen. I first got to read this in the greatest team-up stories ever told, and I loved it. Yes, the Gardner Fox stories are formulaic and incredibly plot-driven, but nearly every DC comic at the time was the same, so you can't really hold that against him. His stories were generally more imaginative, making him, no doubt, less chemically enhanced Grant Morrison of his day in many ways. Sikowski's art always takes him getting used to, but there's no question he definitely handled the huge cast of characters, despite me not having, not being a big fan of his style. Uh, as for your segments, how about rotating chairperson or watchtower files? Oh, wait, I think I've heard that somewhere before. I kid, I kid. Why not name the best hero the super friend and for the worst, stick with the Johnny Thunder participation award? (laughs) I do like Johnny Thunder participation award. That is fair. And yes, Chris, uh, a lot of our features, it was inspired by a lot of different shows, including your Justice League Unlimited podcast, uh, the Power Pack show. So it definitely uh, served as some inspiration for our features. So thank you for that. And, um, well, you know, we swiped it. So there it is. (laughs) Uh, We heard from Michael Kramer. Uh, who says, I became a fan of the JSA through the greatest Golden Age stories ever uh, collection. I also was an old-time radio fan, and the World War II-era characters were some of my favorite. Uh, Although I'll admit I was never a fan of the multiple Earths concept. Ouch! What? You say all the right things, Michael, and then you end it with that? Man. Man. I'm sorry to hear that, sir. I hope you're still listening. (laughs) If not, I'll talk to you when we do the JLI, because he loves JLI. Uh, then we heard from Siskoid for the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows such as the Zero Hour Strikes Podcast, which is where they kill the JSA, by the way, uh, or Ohatmu or not, and many more. Siskoid writes, I always thought the Yellow Glove controversy was about Aquaman, but I see it spread to Dr. Fate as well. <laughs> and Alan Wright follows up going, quote, the Yellow Glove controversy. And suddenly I picture a Bob Haney Brave and the Bold story where the cursed Yellow Gloves are passed from hero to hero. Then again, all my bizarre thoughts seem suitable for a Bob Haney story. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alan. I appreciate that. If it's a Bob Haney story, there has to be a, a, a relative introduced that we'd never hear of again. That you know, is probably right? true. That is true. Aquaman has a sister. Wait, what? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Bob Haney. Benjamin Kellogg says, oh, cool. That team I like from CW Stargirl has their own podcast feed now. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, thanks for making a new show about DC's founding team and for starting off with the stories that introduced most of modern fandom, myself included, to the JSA. A late-blooming DC dabbler, I first encountered this two-part tale in the Black and White Showcase Presents Justice League of America Volume 2 
a bit bewildered that the tradition of the annual JLA-JSA team-ups started in that early in the league's life. I didn't know much about the society at the time, but the general story beats reminded me of one of my favorite episodes from the Justice League cartoon, Legends, a bit of a classic in itself these days. It's an amazing episode, and it's shocking to think that it's been, what, like 20 years since that aired? It's, wow. like, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I guess it is a classic now. It just feels like it just came out, but wow. Uh, then we hear from Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. Martin writes, congratulations on a world-beating new podcast. Double world-beating, in fact. Um, I loved this first episode. I first read this team up in the World's Greatest Superheroes 100-page su- uh, Super Spectacular, and it knocked my socks off. So many heroes and villains and uh, so much story. He says, I like that the JLA used Merlin's crystal ball. Who says the Silver Age didn't have continuity? From the letter columns, it seems that there were kids who had been with the book from the start. So they might have expected to remember the the prop from an earlier issue. You know, that's fair. I guess we're not giving enough credit to early fandom. You know, we were very dismissive saying that, you know, fans turn over every five years and things like that. Well, you know, maybe by the early 1960s, that was starting to change. I mean, Marvel was cranking them out. Continuity was becoming a big thing. Maybe we we were a little too dismissive, Rob. Maybe so. Uh, DC Dave uh, says, for someone so dismissive of Aquaman's gloves, Shagshire was stuck on Dr. Fate's missing handwear. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Can't have it both ways, Shag. Either gloves matter or they don't. Oh, my God. Oh, man. If the glove fits, we must acquit. I I love DC Dave. As soon as I heard the promo (laughs) on the JLI podcast, I immediately searched out the new feed and added it. I love all things JSA. Before I sold off my collection, one of my prized possessions was All-Star number 58 with the Super Squad and Power Girl. Oh, I love that. I was reading that comic last night. My personal origin story with the JSA is when my mom brought up a huge box of comics from a garage sale in 1983. And in there was JLA 207 to 209 and also Squadron 14 to 15, Crisis on Earth Prime. 11-year-old me drank that up and loved every moment of it. Man, I can't imagine reading that story in one go. I had to, I had to do it and you know, get it doled out as it was coming out. But, man, reading it in one shot, that's binge comic reading. And you were, you were a pioneer, Dave. You know, I'll, I'll just say, put it right here on the table, and I'd love to see some argument happening in the comments here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there, Crisis on Earth Prime, peak, peak JLA-JSA crossover. I, I think that is the single best crossover. That's just me. So yeah, Now, I know the art kind of varies throughout it, but the story itself is amazing. Now, I, again, that was probably the first one I really dove into as a collector, so I, I'm biased, but uh, I'd love to hear what everyone else thinks. Do, do you have a personal favorite, Rob? Uh, it's up, that one's up there. I don't. I'd have to. Th- I really love the one with the secret society of supervillains that That's we've a already covered. That is yeah, it so is. Yeah. good. Okay. Um, All right. Well, folks, uh, share in your comments. Let's know. Yeah. Let us know All right. Then we hear from Matt Ev, who's uh, he's our fire and water geek fitness celebrity. The guy's amazing, and he's a past guest on the JLI podcast. So Matt writes, "Well, that was delightful. I've been oddly drawn to the JSA ever since stumbling across All Star Squadron number twenty as a kid, which was a mind blowing and somewhat harrowing experience." And then there was Perez's JLA crossover, the Parabec series, the, J- uh, the James Robinson, Jeff Johns runs, the Golden Age, something enduring and fascinating about those old-timey characters, even if I do find older comics pretty tough to get through at times. I have Crisis on Multiple Earths Volume 2 sitting unread on my shelf, so I look forward to cracking that open when you guys get to it. Uh, I just want to comment on that. You know, you just rattled off some of my absolute favorite JSA stuff. I mean, for me, my love of the JSA comes from the stuff done in the later years. Exactly like you said, the Paraback series, the James Robinson, the Jeff Johns, the Perez, Golden Age, all that, All-Star Squadron. That is where my love of the JSA comes from. So I'm, I'm right there with you, Matt. Absolutely. Then it goes on to say, Our Man, without a doubt, my absolute favorite JSA member. How could he not be with, uh, with having a cool 
but relatively underwhelming powers, which I always enjoy. And one of the single greatest superhero costumes of all time. Simple and great, elegant, uh, easily in my top five, maybe top three. He says, uh, he, he also shot, I gave like some relevant appearances. He shouted out a couple more. He mentioned Justice League Task Force number 10 through 12, uh, which is sort of Mission Impossible, and they take on a bunch of super Nazis. Rex uh, Tyler's there to help out. Then he mentioned uh, a story in a creator-focused anthology title called Solo uh, from 2004. I'm familiar with this book, but I never actually read it. He says there's a, an issue written and drawn all by Mike Allred, and there's a story called An Hour with Our Man. Uh, and he says because it's by Mike Allred, it automatically means it's absolutely wonderful. So I'm going to have to check that out now. I wonder if Solo's on the DC app because I would be interested in reading that. That'd be awesome. Thanks for the suggestions, man. Solo was a great series. I don't think I have yeah. that issue, but boy, that was a great. I have the Darwin Cook one, mm. the Sergio Aragones one, the Jordi Benet one. That was a great book. Boy, that was oh. So wasn't the premise they 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 basically hand a, a one artist writer a uh, an anthology and say, here you go, do yes. a bunch of stories, and you're doing all of them. Yep, that's it. Oh, that's Howard it. Chaykin did one. It's really great, great series. It did didn't last too. It didn't last long enough. It was wonderful. Uh, Mike LaCroix from the Canadian Military History Podcast says, JLA 19 to 200, he means JLA 19 to 220, the kidnapping and torture of Black Canary's daughter, including Thunderbolt goodness, say you indeed. Uh, and he's listing out as one of the things he's looking forward to us getting to. And boy, that is going to be a bonkers episode. <laughs> uh, we may take our time getting to that one. I think, Mike, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty crazy one. By the way, I, I just looked on the DC Universe app. They do have issues one and five, which is the issue one's the Brian Azzarello, Tim Sale issue. And issue five is the Darwin Cook issue of Solo oh, on DC. Good app. stuff. <laughs> All right. Good well, stuff. Sadly, number four is not there. But hey, I can enjoy some Darwin Cook. That'd be great. All right. Then we're from Diablo Frank from the World Spine Podcast Network. Now, he just recently restarted his Power of the Atom podcast as an extended April Fool's Day joke, which has been a lot of fun to check out. You should try it. Uh, very short episodes, and, and it's got some laughs in there. And, he, of course, he does a million other shows. But so Frank writes uh, – well, he wrote quite a bit here, folks, so I'm just going to trip hammer through some of it. He says, things that I love uh, include superheroes that are vanguards in a period setting – form a legacy and are obscure. The JSA checks all those boxes, but the particulars of the characters in the group stories are of less interest to me. That's why I was okay with most of them being killed off in crisis and then zero hour. Bite your tongue, Frank. Uh, and why I kind of like infinity Inc and the nineties JSA title, but only the highlight reel. Generally, I prefer my JSA stories to be in memoriam or for Crimson Avenger para memorial. Uh, tell me a story about Black Canary and Starman having an extramarital affair in the 1960s, but not so much about Jay Garrick leading the charge against Gog in modern times. All right. I, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said that those uh, retro history stories, are, they have a certain interest versus the modern day stories. I'll give you that. And then we had asked some questions about Martian Manhunter, about John Jones versus John Jones and things like that last episode. So he schools us here because the entire run of the backup of detective comics was called John Jones, which was converted to John Jones with the move to House of Mystery. The Manhunter from Mars part was a subtitle, but until Mike Nasser designed the Manhunter from Mars logo for Adventure Comics in the strip in the late 1970s. Hmm. All right. It goes on. He gives a lot more information there. You should check out the comments there. But thanks so much, Frank. We appreciate that. Uh, Justin Steiner uh, says, really enjoyed the first episode. I had read this a couple of years ago, but definitely found more to like this time around. Maybe I've gotten more used to 60s comics in the meantime. I did wonder about a few story points, though. How come Green Lantern was able to use his ring when Wonder Woman rescued him with her yellow lasso? Also, why didn't the wizard pretend he was Felix Faust? This makes so much more sense. I love Our Man. <laughs> I love Our Man, so choosing him for the first spotlight was icing on the cake. His costume is just so great. And I agree with Chag that the 90s Our Man series was great. Oh, 
Awesome, Justin. Thank you so much. Yeah, I guess you got to check out the Tom Payer, uh, Rags Morales, uh, Iron Man series. It's so, all about the Android. It's so good. All right. Now from Mark Baker Wright from the Not Your Father's Autobot podcast, Mark writes, regarding what to call your worst of the month nominations, given Rob's consistent derision of a certain JLA mascot, there's only one, one true option, and I'm surprised you didn't say it yourselves, calling it the snapper. <laughs> that is pretty good, Mark. I like that. However, uh, the, this is a JSA focused podcast. So we're probably going to pick titles that are a little more JSA themed, but I, I love your enthusiasm. And yeah, snapper car is pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, dunking on Johnny Thunder, I think is going to win out. I did like naming it the snapper because it is appropriate. <laughs> I just hate him so much. Uh, Jay Power says, my favorite team by my favorite podcast network. Thank you. Aww. Thank you. Thank you for this podcast. I've been waiting for new JSA podcast since Tales of the JSA went on hiatus. This podcast is another FW podcast classic. I met the JSA in the comics my dad would bring me from the magazine stand. Each summer, I would get at least one issue of the team up. Of course, how could dad know? These issues cemented the JSA as <laughs> my favorite team because they were different. Uh, that's 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 heartbreaking that you get part one or part two of a story. <laughs> oh uh, I can relate, Jay. My my first team up comic was uh, the death of Mister Terrific. I got part one, and it took <laughs> three years to get part two. So I'm right there with you, buddy. And uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, you, if anybody at home has a really like heartwarming or not even heartwarming, but like their origin story with the JSA, I'd love to hear it. Please share. Uh, and then finally, we got a comment from just Jason. That's all it was, Jason. So I'm assuming you uh, were part of the Friday the 13th franchise. Jason says, uh, thanks for another great podcast celebrating stories I never knew but somehow cherish. Uh, I loved the deep dive into DC history. The Fiddler. The mother effing Fiddler. <laughs> Weird what will make one smile. Great job on the Iron Man spotlight. The mask has bugged me for years. Glad to know I'm not alone. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Really appreciate that. Now, folks, remember, share your feedback with us. Go out to our website. What's that website, Rob? Ironwaterpodcast.com. Yep, and you can just type slash JSA Percents. That'll take you right to there, and you find the right episode. Uh, on Facebook, we're under the Fire and Water Podcast Network. On Twitter, we are JSA Presents. Uh, also, you can FW Podcast. And our email address is justicesocietypresents at gmail.com. Now, that's going to do it for this episode of Justice Society Presents uh, Crisis. Next episode, we'll be back with another JSA, JLA team up. We're not going to tell you which one. Uh, mainly because we haven't decided ourselves yet, but we, it will be something fun and something interesting. We promise you that. So until next time, folks, join the fight for justice. With his army of evil on the march, Bird Degaton appears to have time on his side. But when duty calls, they answer, bringing the fight for freedom to the front lines. They are the mystery men and women known as the Justice Society of America. 